welcome everybody into another edition of the Stingers Up Sacramento State Football Podcast. I'm Jason Ross. Thank you so much for joining us here on another episode. I'm glad we have more episodes to look at Hornet football because the Hornets did it. They got their first ever FCS playoff win last week in a rain-soaked, miserable, cold, and windy, rainy day, but it wasn't that miserable when the Hornets end up with their first playoff victory. We certainly will recap that today on the podcast. We will look ahead now to the next round, the quarterfinals, as on Friday night, the Sacramento State Hornets are going to take on the Incarnate Word Cardinals, a very good team. We'll preview that. We also will get more perspective on the Hornets as well with Joe Davidson, and our preview for Incarnate Word will come from Carl Schoening, uh, their analyst on their ESPN Plus game. So lots for us to get to. Let's jump right into it on the podcast. Again, thank you for everyone checking us out. Tell a friend. Let them know we're out there. All of you as Hornet football and the popularity is growing week by week. We love it, and we thank you for uh, becoming regulars here and listening to the podcast. So let's start with last week's game. Uh, the Hornets came in as favored. I mean, you're the two-seed Richmond, the Spiders had no trouble with Davidson in the opening round. And a lot of the thought, at least that I had going into the game, was the beginning. Because if you look at the past two playoff games, Sacramento State lost a couple years ago to Austin P, where they were down 28 nothing. Just had a bad, bad game. Credit to Austin P, But the Hornets never had a chance to win. Now, it was a little different last year. They were down 24 nothing, but the Hornets did have a chance to win. They stormed back, had the ball, got it to 24-19, just did not get the ball one last time. But I felt like the Hornets kind of figured it out, got in the groove. They just dug themselves too large of a hole. So my thought going into the game was, and those two games, keep in mind, in all the games that Troy Taylor has coached as a Hornet, that had never happened. That had never been in their DNA. They just never had games where they were down by that much, except for those two. So why? Why was that happening in the postseason? Well, the way the game went on Saturday, even with the bad conditions, the Hornets got a three and out right away, got the ball, and went right down the field. And I'm thinking, all right, this is exactly the way to start the game. Third and goal, O'Hara. It's an end around to Marshall Martin. He's got to have to sprint to the edge. Martin to the five. Martin to the pylon. He's in! Touchdown, an end around to the tight end. Marshall Martin, one of the fastest Hornets, got the angle, and he sprints inside the pylon. Touchdown, Hornets. So 7 nothing at that point. Now what's the response by the Richmond Spiders? Well, the response was the Spiders also went right down the field on their second possession, mixing in just a very effective and efficient offense run and pass, and they would punch it in to tie the game. Back to throw. Pump looks for the big ball. Downfield fade to the corner. Has his running back. It's caught. Touchdown, Richmond. The Spiders on a great throw. Faked the out and up. Threw it on the left boundary to the corner of the end zone. It's caught about the two and then tackled in the end zone for a score. Nicely done is Josiah Williams with the grab. All right, so 7-7, no real concerns just yet. The Hornets had touched the ball once. They scored. Now it was the second possession to tie the game for the Spiders at 7. The Hornets, though, did not get uh, the first down they were looking for, and so they had to give the ball back to the Spiders. All right, so you know no one's too uneasy yet. Everybody's still cold and wet and just getting a- adjusted to the uh, elements. But at this point, the Spiders would, in fact, take the lead and go up 14-7. to Two tight end look. Smith is still the tailback. They'll snap from the one. In the shotgun on second and goal. They'll try Smith again. He powers his way. He's pinballed and falls to the goal line. No signal. Spiders say he's in. The referees say he's not. No signal. Now they do. Touchdown. So Richmond has obviously shown that they are more than capable, more than able to come in and win this game. Again, 
with Reese Udinsky, uh, an efficient QB, the running game that was now suddenly developing and becoming a bigger story than the Hornet running game. That was one of the surprises of the game. But here's where it got concerning because the Spiders would turn a 14-7 lead into a 21-7 lead. They're going to play fake. Rolling out as Udinsky back to throw. Wide open. Blown coverage. Caught at the three. Walking into the end zone. Touchdown, Spiders. Leroy Henley with the catch. His 67th of the year is ninth touchdown, and the Spiders have scored 20 straight points. So now at this point, it's the largest deficit of the season for Sacramento State. They're down 14 points. Still a lot of football to go. But a, a problem is occurring where the Hornets aren't able to run the ball very effectively against the very good front of the Richmond Spiders. The rain's continuing to fall. How are they going to come back in these elements? Well, they would drive down and get a much-needed field goal by Kyle Sinkowski, and they were trailing now 21-10. to Now, one of the huge turning points and maybe controversial points of the game was a pass by Jake Dunaway out to the flat caught by Gibson. And he then was tackled and lost the ball. It was scooped and scored about an 80-yard turnaround going the other way for the Richmond Spiders. So it was looking like it could be 28-10 to 10 before the half. The play was reviewed. And on the review, they deemed that Gibson never caught the ball. And so it was overturned. And this was a drive right before the half. What the Hornets were hoping to do was score before the half. And they deferred, so they wanted to score to start the second half. Kind of bookend the halves with scoring. Well, they do the first part as uh, Marcus Fulcher would score right before the half. They're going to send Fulcher in motion. He gets the end around on the handoff, gets to the edge. Fulcher to the pylon. He's in. Touchdown, Sacramento State. He was lined up on the left edge, and he went in motion in a quick handoff from Dunaway to Fulcher, and he got outside with some great blocking by Cameron Scadaboo to establish the edge Knifes his way inside the pylon, and the Hornets are now down 21-16. As we mentioned, going into the break, 21-17, Hornets felt better, but they're still trailing. But they also knew they got the ball to start the second half. Can they do a time-consuming drive or get back in the end zone? Well, they wouldn't even need their offense because special teams and Elijah Tau Tolliver put the Hornets ahead. All right, here's the kickoff. Second half goes to Elijah Tau Tolliver. Has a couple of nice returns so far today. Takes this one out to the 25-30. Spin, stays on his feet. Scoots up to the 35. He's to near field. Needs a block. Scoots down the sideline. Gets the block. 20, 15, 10, 5. Touchdown, Sacramento State. No flags. 95 yards, and the Hornets have the lead. So 24-21, Sacramento State after the extra point. And the Hornets are up three and just getting underway in the second half. The Spiders would counter with a field goal to tie the game at 24. So now we've kind of established a run by each team. No one's shown that they're the better team. Who's going to win this game? Well, the Hornets would um, find themselves down again because the Spiders would get the next score. After 24-24, the Richmond Spiders would go ahead. As we hit the five-minute mark here of the third quarter, Hornets, Spiders tied at 24. They're in field goal range. Hornets need to keep him short of the 15-yard line. Udinsky to throw. Throws down to the far sideline and towards the end zone. It's caught! Touchdown, Richmond. It's Henley. Unbelievable catch while he was heavily guarded. And his second touchdown of the day, the Spiders go ahead 30-24. So now it's 31-24. The Hornets have some work to do. Again, the rain continues to fall at a pretty heavy clip. But somehow, someway, Jake Dunaway, even with some interceptions and some miscues, is setting some record-setting offensive passing days for this year at least, and Dunaway would have the tying score to the end zone. 
So here we go, third and goal. It'll be tough to kick in these elements as well. Dunaway back to throw, looks towards the end zone, thrown. It's caught! Touchdown, Marshall Martin. The Hornets are an extra point away from tying the game. Martin gets into the end zone, Dunaway to Martin, and it's now 31-30, Spiders with the lead. In a- so 31-31, now we need to decide this thing. Hornets got the ball back, and it was a third down situation. You're thinking Asher O'Hara is in there. Is he going to run? What kind of player are they going to call? Well, this is where the great play calling of Troy Taylor took effect. Instead of running, Asher O'Hara throws the prettiest ball of the night. Will they keep O'Hara in? Will they run, or are they going to throw this with Asher on third and five? Fulcher goes in motion. They fake the handoff. O'Hara's going to throw it. He looks deep ball. Down the middle of the field, Pierre Williams. It's caught. Goodbye, Pierre. 10-5. Touchdown, Sacramento State. The Hornets take the lead. So 38-31 Hornets trying to hang on one last chance for the Spiders. As Udinsky in the offense of the Spiders trying to pull off an upset. They're here at their own 47-yard line. Hornets bringing some pressure. Udinsky backside pressure. He's dropped all the way back at the 36-yard line. Jeremy Harris gets the sack. Little shades of the Montana game from a year ago. They're getting a sack and a key position late in a game. And Jeremy Harris coming in there to bury him. First one of the year for Jeremy Harris. Third down and 19. Two down territory. Udinsky throws it to the far sideline. It's knocked away. It's fourth down coming up. Jace O'Hara in there again. So this is the last chance at the moment for the Spiders. Without timeouts, trailing by seven, they've got a fourth and 19. So here we go, fourth down and 19. Hornets trying to get their first ever FCS win. Fourth and 19, back to throw Udinsky. He's going to look downfield, too high, intercepted! That is your ball game. It is picked off by the Hornets, and that is going to do it. Sacramento State's going to win their first ever FCS playoff game. Resilient, you know, we made a play on special teams. We, we did it when we needed to, and then we made stops on the defense. Just really proud of these guys. It's a really good Richmond team, and it was a hard-fought win. I'm, I'm proud of them. Thanks. It's on the win. I know you got to go to TV. But thanks for stopping for us. Thank you. Singers up. So Sacramento State does it. They survive. They advance. They move on. No matter how you do it, whether it's ugly, pretty, you just have to survive. And it really doesn't carry over into the next game. The Hornets, though, have to have a ton of confidence on winning the amount of these games at home, whether you think about the Davis game, certainly the one last week against Richmond, Montana, Idaho, Thrilling games, but they have found a way. And I know Coach Troy Taylor always talks about the team is going to find a way. Well, they did find a way, and they were able uh, to prevail. So uh, impressive what the Hornets were able to do. But now we want to get to our next guest to talk more about this. Our first guest, I should say, to talk more about this game and upcoming game against Incarnate Word. We're now joined by Joe Davidson of the Sacramento Bee. Joe does incredible work, has for years, whether it's high school coverage, Kings coverage, and certainly Sacramento State, UC Davis coverage, the colleges in town. So, Joe, I'm going to start with this. Uh, Obviously, you were there on Saturday. Have you had a chance to dry out from that deluge of rain we all experienced last Saturday? 
And Deluge is right, uh, Jason. It was. You know, you, you you realize in a hurry if your if your uh, umbrella is up to snuff, and mine was, and it got it got turned upside down, and you know, I got water coming down my back. And, um, I, the, in the story I wrote for the Sacramento Bee, I, I, I led off with that after that win for the Hornets over, um, um, you know, Richmond. I said, you know, the the th- the fun thing about rain is players don't seem to mind it as long as they win. Mm-hmm. But but when when you lose, the players and the coach and the fans are all miserable. But when you win, it's like, yeah, that was a good time, <laughs> right? I mean, it's just uh, I, we were talking off the air just a moment ago how how great that home crowd was on the home side, despite that rain. I thought, you know what, you can't blame these people for staying home, nice and comfortable uh, with a remote. But they came out. The hardy, loyal guys came out, and 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 um, it wasn't an easy win, but they got it. So so we may have rain again, but. Uh, Geez, if you've got a chance to win a national championship, you'll do it in, in thunderstorms if you have to. You do it in, in a tornado if you have to. Absolutely. So, Joe, you know this team. You know this team well. You know this coaching staff well. You saw the game. I'm not entirely sure I believe how they did it. It was not the normal Hornet type of game, but they did find a way. How did they do it in your mind? Well, it's you know, we go in there. There's so much experts we are. Well, it's, it's windy and rainy, so the Hornets will just run the ball. That's what they like to do. you got Cameron Scadaboo and you got – uh, Asher O'Hara who could run the ball at quarterback and Marcus Fulcher. Well, they, they wound up passing for a season high 400 some yards. And so it's, of course it doesn't make sense. And, uh, and then you had Richmond, which was coming off a, a, a tremendous passing game to beat Davidson. Uh, and then, and here come the spiders from Virginia and they run the ball instead of passing the ball. So sometimes football doesn't make sense. That's what's fun about it. But Sac State, that's where the two quarterback system works. And the Richmond coaches talked about how Jake Dunaway carved them up with a lot of yards passing, but he had three interceptions. Um, and so then you throw a different wrinkle and you throw Asher O'Hara out there who runs uh, well, certainly is a great running quarterback, but he had that nifty perfect strike touchdown um, to Pierre Williams to, to take the lead and pretty much win the game. Um, and you're right. And then, um, Tolliver with a kickoff return mm-hmm. open the second half, and uh, uh, so they need a little juice there. And uh, but you know, it's a, it's a, the great teams find a way to win. It's an old cliche, Jason, but they they did. They uh, they had a little. It's the first time the offensive line had a different look all season because of a, of, a, of an injury. So they rotated guys around. They still found a way. Um, could not get on track. Running the ball took a while to figure out how to catch the ball in the wind and the rain, but found a way. That's all that matters. It's like with all the, the, the correctable mistakes and the drops and, and all that, found a way. Yeah. And probably going to have to do it again this week with an even better opponent. Yeah, it, you know, kind of that theme of finding a way. I found it interesting, and there were clips, and, and I know you and I have talked about it before, that Troy Taylor, I think, literally even tells his team that. He says he does. He, look, that's part of our messaging is we're going to find a way, and we will find a way. And I think if, even if you put that belief in your players and – Hey, even if the Hornet fans are maybe not believing at certain times, hey, this may not be their day, the players and coaches do. And that's got to mean something to them because they've won a lot of close calls this year. Yeah, they do. And when you're 12-0, and finding a way, found a way against Montana at home on uh, the ESPNU broadcast where um, the Story Grizzlies um, you know, gave up the final 17 points of the game. Uh, so that's, that was finding a way. And um, – you know, finding a way to hold off UC Davis uh, as the Aggies were trying to charge back. And, um, you know, the good coaches, the good teams, they, they do find a way. And, you know, you just can't lose yourself. And Troy Taylor, I've known him forever, as you alluded to, and he, he always 
talks about how do you respond? How do you respond to scoring the first touchdown? How do you respond to suddenly being down 21 seven? Um, all of those things. And it, and it, and it pays off. And, you know, I think Hornets fans have found out you, you can't, you can't throw in a towel, so to speak, even though it's pounding down rain until, until it's completely over and they keep finding a way and, uh, you know, it, it, maybe people are getting a little spoiled too, Jason. You're not going to cruise in every game, mm-hmm. um, and and just gets tighter and tighter. And we're looking at incarnate word of of San Antonio, Texas, and uh, boy, they find a way. Uh, you know, with their great quarterback and their playmaker and guy who's doing Lindsey Scott who's finding a way. Um, um, you know, and people ask me this too all the time, J- Jason. You know, can the, is that just a little too ambitious that the Hornets are thinking national championship? Not at all. If you're the number two ranked team for the second half of the season, or the last month of it at least, and you're the national number two seed and you're unbeaten, oh yeah, that's you should have every reason to expect to be in the national championship because of uh, all of that. You know, all, everything that they've accomplished. Yeah, you're right. And everything goes through home. I mean, it's as well set up as possible. I want to kind of go back to something you said about knowing Troy as well as you do. I, I, Joe, I, you probably get this question asked even more than I do. And I get so many people that ask, well, are they going to be able to keep Troy? Is Troy leaving? I hear rumors about Stanford. You know, he'd want to go to Cal, UNLV, like all these schools that keep coming up. My answer is, I don't know. I think he's happy. I, you know, I'm not the one that's getting offered or rumored or whatever. What's your read on that? I know the school would love to keep him. I'd love him to be here for the rest of his career. I, you know, that's his life, his choices. What, what do you think Troy ultimately wants uh, to do here? Well, first thing about Troy is he'll tell you, and you know, to peel it back a little bit more, he's not a BSer. He's very genuine. Um, he, he doesn't chase jobs. Uh, you know, Sac State came after him. Utah came after him. Eastern Washington came after him when he was the, the Folsom High School coach, a co-coach with Chris Richardson. And so he'll listen. It's always good business to listen. But I've quoted him a couple of times where he said, I have no intention of leaving. I don't know what the future holds, which is very fair. Um, but he's very comfortable here. He made, He's made a ton already this season in bonuses alone, and they've still got a lot of playoffs to go. Um there is something to be said about the comfort of being at home. And I think he would much rather be the head coach at Sacramento State than be an assistant somewhere else. So the, the the notion of, well, he'll be the next offensive coordinator at Cal since they just got rid of uh, their, their offense coordinator, Musgrave, not necessarily. And, well, he'll just he'll be the next Cal coach. Well, now, how, how, we, how do we know that if Justin Wilcox has been extended through 2027? That's a big financial commitment at State. Cal, um, you know, so what about, I don't think he's interested in a job per se out of state. I'm not going to speak for him, but he's not going to go after the UNLV job, not mm-hmm. over uh, Sacramento State. That's just my personal belief. I think Sacramento State's a more rewarding job. Uh, UNLV is a meat grinder. It, it chewed up Bobby Houck, who had a great run at Montana, got chewed up at Montana, and then has had another great run at Montana again. Um how at, at UNLV had some frustrating years. And so as for Stanford, that would be pretty intriguing, but Stanford's not an, uh, an easy job. Uh, NI, um, NIL complications, they, they're not big on the transfer portal. Uh, it's a hard school to get into academically. So, and there's also this, there's a lot of unfinished business at Sac State. And Troy kind of downplayed a little bit the other night, but they needed that win. Mm-hmm. And those storm clouds would have remained uh, had had they lost that game, they would have been 0-3 in the FCS playoffs. Um, but now that's all kind of washed away because they won. So 
I talked to Coach uh, to President Robert S. Nelson a couple of weeks ago for a story on the, the program and Troy, and he said he has a continuous rollover seven year contract as long as he wants it. Mm. And so there's something to be said about stability in college football, and you know he's got it here. And um, um, I don't know if Sac State will keep him forever. Uh, probably not. Uh, and Mark Orr, the athletic director, who you and I both know, yep. has has said he goes. You know, college football programs should have Troy Taylor on their list for, for vacancies because he's that kind of guy. He's that kind of coach. Yeah, and the good thing is Mark Orr is still here. The president is moving on, so we'll see if that has any impact in this. And the Hornets are hoping to move on. You mentioned they will play Incarnate Word. I'll give credit to the seating committee. They had the eight teams, one through eight, that had a bye. Uh, all eight won at home last week, so one will play eight, two, seven, so on and so forth. That means – Sacramento State at two will host Incarnate Word eleven and one. They've got an FBS win. They got an impressive win last week. Uh, they've beaten it a ton of teams. Number one offense with a stud quarterback. Uh, this is it, it looks like again back to what what do we know? We thought we'd see a running Hornet team last week with a passing Richmond team. It was flipped. I expect a lot of points this week, Joe. But uh, who knows with the number one offense and the number four offense in the Hornets. Right. You know, and Andy Thompson, the terrific defensive coordinator for the Hornets, to say, we'll take a 10-7 victory. Thank you very much. Yeah. Uh, you know, um, you're right. And if it's a little dusty and a little wet and rainy, which is what the forecast calls for the 730 games, so we'll know it'll be cold. But Lindsey Scott Jr. is this tremendous quarterback. And here's the beauty of college football. Some say it's the absurdity of college football, but he's 24 years old, and this is his seventh college. He didn't play at all of them. There were some places where he was there just for a little bit, um, didn't play like at LSU and at Missouri was at a community college. You know, how does he get so many extra years? He had a medical red shirt, you know, had the COVID season, uh, spring in 2021, um, uh, season. He had, um, you know, the, the extra bonus year, if you will, because of COVID and all that. And, um, you know, so he's, he's dynamic and he has these, um, you know, these fantasy football type of numbers. He had a touchdown last week where I think he was falling to his yes. back and he fired a touchdown. And he even said afterwards, I wouldn't recommend that. That's not, that's not exactly <laughs> what you want to do, but he's a playmaker. He's dangerous. Um, I know coordinators like Andy Thompson, they, they, they love those challenges. I'm not going to reinvent the, um, you know, the wheels to, 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 to defend them, but they've got some guys to get after them. They're going to have to, I mean, it's just simple. If, if you can't stop Lindsey Scott, who's carved up everybody, then, then it's going to be season over. Mm-hmm. But if the Hornets could stop him, then that certainly enhances their chances big time. Same thing with the quarterback last week for Richmond. If he could stop, he had moments, uh, he had three touchdown passes, mm-hmm. but, but they got him. I mean, they, they, you know, Cameron Broussard ended that game with an interception, but the ball started to look like a duck after yep. a while because it was so saturated. So um, there you go. So I, I, I still like the Hornets chances as long as they're playing well um, and they get, hitters on defense and Armand Bailey and Martu Mapu and, and they get after him there. So, um, you know, we, we talk about what the Hornets have to do to slow this guy down. Well, what is incarnate word going to do to slow down the Hornets? True. Yeah, that's true. I mean, that's what they have to look at. I mean, the Hornets are the undefeated team. They are at home. Incarnate words coming out here. So it, it's, it promises to be a fun, fun one. I want to ask you too, because you're so tapped into the high school game as well, and with the recruiting coming up and, and some decisions that need to be made, any early intel on on some ho- high school products that might be heading to Sacramento State? Yeah, they uh, the Hornets have a commitment. I don't have his name off the top of my head, Jason, but uh, Centennial Corona down there mm. in Los Angeles County has a, a terrific dual threat quarterback. 
just a terrific talent. You can see his film, and, and he's committed to Sacramento State. Um, the transfer portal is the, the new animal, and you don't think a quarterback who didn't play in an FBS school and he's frustrated and wants to play is not going to look at Sac State as a possibility to, hey, I'd like to go there. That's, that's exactly what Ash O'Hara did. So the Hornets are going to have options there. The other cool thing about the Hornets is, um, they're one of a, just a few teams in America, it seems like, that does, does not have a player in the transfer portal. They have one player, but he's, he's a walk-on, so he's right. not a scholarship player. Um, so I think that shows that, uh, you know, when, you, when, when there's a good culture, not to overuse that word, people, people like to stick around. And um, I, I, I know they're, they're, uh, they have a running back commit from Antelope High School here in Sacramento, Karan Borders. He was rushed for 3,500 yards in high school. So he's, he's headed to the Hornets. Um, so they're well-stocked at running back. Um, Cameron Scadabo is not going anywhere. Uh, so I think they're going to get – they're beating out schools like Nevada. That's good. San Jose State, um, you know, other big sky schools um, for – some of these these players and uh um you know and i'm sure they asked coach taylor when they're recruiting you know what's your future and he's gonna level with them um just like the college kids you know is a, is a player gonna be at school a for all four years you know with the transfer border we don't know we don't know so worry about the, the here and now that's what the hornets are are big on but looking ahead i think their signing day is going to be another boom for sure yeah it's going to be a lot of fun uh this week oh by the way the qb is a uh, carson conklin from centennial so we'll See if he's the next great Hornet QB down the line. Joe, we always appreciate your time, your insight. Everybody needs to check out your work, whether it's uh, at SACB.com, on Twitter, in the paper itself. Um, keep up the good work, and we look forward to seeing you in hopefully somewhat mild conditions Friday, though at, at this moment it looks like it might be kind of yeah. crazy out there. Why can't it just rain on Sundays? I mean, exactly. that too much. Exactly. <laughs> All right, Joe, thank you so much. You bet. We'll see you soon, Jason. All right, that is the great Joe Davidson. We thank Joe for joining us. You can check out all his amazing work at the Sacramento Bee and SACB.com. Uh, but now let's look at our opponent this week for Sacramento State. Incarnate Word, the Cardinals. What an awesome season they had. 11-1. and one, They're ranked 7. And if you look at it, the top 8 all played as seeding. One's going to play 8, 2, 7, 3, 6, 4, 5. So nothing should be easy from here on out. And to join us to talk about the Incarnate Word Cardinals, it's Carl Schoening. He is their analyst for the games on ESPN+. Plus. And Carl, let's start with this amazing year by Incarnate Word. At what point did you know that this team was going to be special? Uh, probably a week before things really even got going when I uh, had a chance to meet G.J. Kenny. I-, I knew that this was going to be a pretty good team based off of how Eric Morris had that team operating last year. But there's just something about G.J. Kenny that w- once you, you kind of – hear how he speaks you know that he runs a well-oiled machine type of offense and uh, I think he really focused on defense when he came in that was something that was a big key for him with incarnate word uh, when he uh, stepped on campus and uh, both those defenses and offenses have been stellar this season and uh, I, I think I knew just from talking to coach Kenny this was going to be a fun ride this year and uh, yes, start off on a three-game winning streak. Your only loss of the season is a heartbreaker last-second play that uh, really, I think really helped the team focus, and they proceeded to uh, go 7-0 and against the rest of the competition, uh, and they were won by an average of 40 points mm. before the playoffs. So that, that was certainly a, uh, a fun tear that they went on to end the season. Yeah, I want to ask you about Coach, too, because I think that's such an important entity to any team. We've seen it here in Sacramento. The big part of the turnaround was head coach Troy Taylor. But then when you you know the season ends and, and the, the 
staff, all of you guys find out that Coach is leaving but still staying on board for this. How was that received? How Obviously, they've gone forward and won, so how did that all kind of play out there internally? They, they stayed focused. I think that was the key because, obviously, you hear these rumors going around, uh, guys like Bruce Feldman tweeting out that, uh, Tulsa is probably going to get G.J. Kenny, and you know that he's a, a big name on a lot of radars for these new coaches' jobs. And, you know, I think that was a, a big deal was the fact that he's going to be sticking around through the season. So uh, these Cardinals, a lot of them are on their final games in the NCAA. So it really comes down to, I think, the fact that everybody in this last ride is a Cardinals all-in. There's obviously a lot of Cardinals that are going to be sticking around, but that they're focused on a national championship this year. Last year, they, they maybe didn't have those expectations. They were getting the taste of the playoffs, and uh, they knew that they were good offensively. The defense had a little work that needed to be done, but this year, defense has been great, and the offense has been better than it was last year and uh you know they're not going to be bashful they're going to tell you right to your face they're ready to win a national championship and uh that's certainly an expectation they've had all season long well when you've got a quarterback that's doing what lindsey scott jr is doing i i would have confidence too number one offense led by him last week specifically nearly 400 ran for over 100 um you've watched his games i i don't know if there's a weakness but why is he so special I don't know uh, why he, what makes him so special, but he, he's a phenomenal passer first. I, I think when you look at what he's done in the course of his career, let's just talk about his time at Nichols and 18 games, he becomes number six on their all-time passer list. Uh, last year, he led the Southland Conference in rushing from that quarterback position uh, with just under 1,000 yards. And then this year, he has so many receivers. Coach Kenny has him operating in an offense that he just conducts like a maestro. And uh, it's so in- insane how he can just place balls right where they need to be to hit his receivers in stride for some of the most explosive plays you'll ever see. And he just knows where his guys are going to be. And then on top of that, they do start to open up the playbook a little bit for him. And I think he's just around uh, – 500 yards gained on the season and he's number two running back uh, or run game I should say behind running back uh, Marcus Cooper and it's uh, it's fun watching those two guys in the backfield uh, do their thing because Lindsey Scott's just as much of a threat with his feet as he is with his arm but they tend to use him more for his arm and uh, let the stable of running backs do their thing if they're going to go to the ground on the run plays. Yeah, but for him to have the stats he does, he obviously needs a line to protect him in these receivers. Man, it, it just and it's not just one guy each week. It seems like he does a really good job of spreading the wealth to four or five, six different receivers. And that's that's exactly what I think also helps make him so special. Is he has sort of he has a cannon of an arm. He can uh, hit receivers in stride on a go route and you'll see that all the time on his highlight reel but he also knows how to just hit them in stride on slants and uh, he knows where to read if uh, maybe they change their route because of the way the defense is playing them and you know those are things that are just predetermined in practice because this is a very fast-paced cardinal offense that gets right back to the line the chain gang won't even have their first down marker set before they take that first and 10 snap once they get that first down they really get rolling and obviously 
that, that just comes down to the guy calling the plays and the snap count. And yeah, Lindsey Scott's phenomenal. The offensive line is great too. They're, they're very deep across the line that, you know, they have two of the best tackles in the country. And I think you look at anybody on the interior, they go about five deep on the interior. So uh, those guys are all great too. And, and yeah, you, you know, you, you mentioned this earlier, just all the receivers they have. I, I want to say that they had 20 receivers uh, make a catch this season <laughs> and uh, Darian Chafin and Taylor Grimes, both over a thousand yards on the season. Now it's just unreal how it's not an air raid offense. They really want to establish the run, but the, you know how analytics and statistics works. Passing game just gets you more yards, and those guys have just been lights out this season. Carl Schoening joining us. Carl, if we then flip to the defense, you mentioned earlier that this was a good team last year, but maybe didn't have the national title hopes, partly because the defense may not have been what they had hoped. Now you look at the metrics and the numbers. The defensive numbers are better. Obviously, it shows up in week-to-week week with the amount of wins they have. What's the strength, you would say, of the defense that the Hornets are going to be looking at this week? Oh, that defensive line is just monstrous. You, 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 I can't name them all, but I'll just go with a few of them. You have a Kansas transfer in Stephen Parker, who, who's just a tough guy to uh, block if you're an offensive lineman. Number six on the uh, Cardinals, if you're going to watch him. Uh, you, you got some big men up front. Uh OCP, Olivier Charles Pierre mm-hmm. is somebody who's about 380 pounds, hard to miss, and uh, it's hard for a running back to miss him as well because he, he definitely gets a hand in there. You have Sam Latham, who's 6'7", 260, wow. and uh, yeah, Cam Preston's a pretty big guy himself. I don't remember his numbers off the top of my head, but uh, he, he's another one of those defensive line guys. So they, they work in a whole bunch of defensive linemen, and that makes it really easy for the rest of the offense to, or defense to figure out what they're going to do because they don't have to blitz to bring pressure to the quarterback. But, uh, you know, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention Kolechi Anulabechi, who is the Southland defensive player of the year. And he's the all-time leader in tackles at uh, UIW and just an amazing guy that guy is. And uh, on top of that, the all-around secondary, you, you have sort of a rover position. We call it the star uh, back over at uh, UIW. Uh, Brandon Richard, he he does a good job sort of being that linebacker, uh, defensive back hybrid. And then they run a field and boundaries uh, corners. And, and I think that that's a, a good factor because they run a lot of man-to-man. So instead of having... Uh, maybe the rules switch up on a corner or if they become the boundary side corner or the field side corner, you know, based off if the ball's on one hash mark or the other, the field is sort of the wide side of the field. Uh, they they just kind of have the same rules that they worry about. And then when the ball switches hash, they just switch the side of the field that they're on and uh, they know what they're going to do. So uh, a very detailed to attention to detailed defense that last year they tried to get a lot of turnovers and they were successful at that, but they gave up a lot of yards this year. They're not necessarily getting the turnovers that they had been getting last year, but they're forcing punts and that's much more important if you ask me. So uh, yeah, this is just a, a really knockdown drag out defense that gets their offense right back onto the field, but they also have to be on the field a lot because their offense scores so quickly. Yeah, uh, the other element, obviously, is special teams. How would you rate, uh, Incarnate Words, uh, special teams units? That that might be, perhaps, if you look at the the story of the season, their one weakness. Uh, They've gotten a lot better on it as the season has improved, but 
uh, early on in the year, they were giving up some good field position on those, uh, you know, kickoffs and punts. And then uh, I, I think you don't really see somebody like Carson Moore out there too often because UIW wants to go for it on fourth down uh, a good chunk of the time. So uh, you're not going to really see a field goal uh, opportunity unless it's the end of a half, really, because if they're in field goal position and it's probably fourth and five or less, I get the feeling G.J. Kenny wants to go for it. So, uh, you know, you don't see too much happening in the field goal game, but uh, Carson Moore is still a really good field goal kicker as well. So uh, a lot of, uh, you know, improvements throughout the season, but also uh, a lot fewer opportunities than your typical team because uh, they don't really punt and they don't really kick field goals too often. This is a team that has, I mean, obviously 11-1 record, not that many close calls. The last week ended up being a close call with Furman. I had the one loss and maybe one other game that was close. So what? I don't even know what has bothered them, but if if there's a trouble spot for the team, you kind of reference maybe special teams just not being as strong as offense or defense. But anything, any common theme that has kind of given them any kind of trouble? No, you, you really can't point at anything. Um, I, I, I'm trying to really think here because if you go back to the Nevada game, they were down 17-3 to in the first quarter. Oh, wow. And then they had the lead by halftime, and they never lost the lead after that. They ended up winning, I think, 55-41, if I remember that off the top of my head. And uh, they, they got close, but uh, they always kept them at arm's length after taking the lead uh, somewhere around like 24-17 uh, going into the locker rooms at halftime against Nevada. And then the next week, uh, it, it was just uh, one of those things where I think Southeastern Louisiana was one and two, and they ended up being uh, co-conference champions with UIW. And Southeastern, uh, you know, I, I always say the most dangerous th- team that you'll face is a one and two team that had preseason expectations because it's a big difference for Southeastern if they fall one and three versus picking up a big win against UIW, who was ranked top 10 at the time. And uh, they, they came out with, I think, a 14-point or 17-point fourth quarter to eventually beat the uh, Cardinals in their only loss of the season. And that was just a uh, fourth quarter where the other team got hot and the offense got a little stagnant. But even though the offense got stagnant, they marched down the field and tied it up right before that uh, last-second play uh, it was an offensive snap that a receiver got loose down the sidelines. But uh, after that, no, no, no problems whatsoever with this team. And then Furman, yeah, they're, they're, um, they're just really good. Yeah. Furman, Furman defeated a pretty good Elon team before that. And uh, I just think that that was a uh, kind of competitive football game that uh, I talked to Nash Jones this morning, uh, left tackle for, UIW and he said he wasn't concerned but if you were a Cardinals fan and you, know, you see that you're trailing with uh, less than three minutes to play you're you were concerned if you were a Cardinals fan but uh, they they had a very key interception by uh, uh, Elliot Davidson at the very end of the game and uh, that pretty much sealed it for them because uh, it seemed like both of those teams it might have come down to who had the ball last and and that turnover uh, kept the uh, Furman Paladins from scoring one last time, which could have potentially been the ball game. And um, you know, uh, if now that now that you ask me, I'm thinking the one thing might be, and I'm curious if maybe this is something that coaches even worked on. They score too quickly sometimes, mm-hmm. and I think sometimes that maybe wears the defense down. 
But if you look at the uh, Paladins game, and I want to even say going back to the Northwestern State game, the final game of the season, Coach Kenny's really emphasized instead of scoring in three minutes like they do fairly regularly, because going into that Northeast, uh, Northwestern game, they, uh, I want to say they had scored an average of every four minutes that Lindsey Scott Jr. was on the field. Wow. Um, yeah, right. So um, uh, they they ended up, uh, I think they started to work on these four, five, seven-minute drives, which, uh, if I'm not mistaken, before the last game of the regular season, they didn't have a seven-minute offensive drive with Lindsey Scott as the uh, quarterback. So that, that might be the one thing that will be interesting to see if maybe this uh, slower rhythm so they can give a little bit more time of possession to their offense and let their defense rest is maybe something that takes them out of their overall rhythm. But I think uh, 2-0, and since they've started to implement those longer, you know, time uh, ticking off the clock drives, uh, they, they, they have no complaints so far. Yeah, I mean, obviously the results speak for themselves. We, we think it's going to be a great game. Number two, number seven, the eight best teams are left. This is the way it should be. It's not easy to advance, and we expect a good one out here on Friday night. Uh, Carl, thank you so much for the time, giving us some insight on Incarnate Word, and we look forward to having a great game on Friday. Absolutely, Jason. Yeah, yeah. get your popcorn ready. Friday night <laughs> is going to be a lot of fun. 9.30 start here in Central Texas, so you know, uh, hopefully uh, they also have a little bit of coffee ready for, uh, for a game that will probably end up going into Saturday. Yeah, it'll be a different uh, night, and we expect some gnarly weather again, unfortunately. We have just a terrible game last week with the weather, but – I'm hoping things can change in the next couple of days, but we'll see how that all plays out. But hopefully it's not a factor in the game. Uh, Carl, thank you so much, and uh, we'll, we'll talk to you again sometime down the line. Absolutely. Sounds good, Jason. See you around. All right, thank you to Carl Schoening joining us here. And uh, to wrap things up, I'll say it again. To me, if the Hornets play their game, and I'm going to go back to starting fast, running the ball, limiting turnovers. The Hornets have flirted with a lot of these danger points, being behind, losing the turnover battle, but they have so many different ways they can get you. Special teams was critical in the win last week on Richmond. Uh, defense in the second half, uh, slowing down the passing game. It is going to be imperative that the defense plays well, the special teams plays well, and the offense has a chance to score some points this week. They've got to be on their game. All elements have to be good. Look, we're down to the last eight. Everybody is good remaining, just like the Hornets. Incarnate Word is coming in here thinking national championship. You heard it from Carl Schoening. They've got a team that can do it. Hornets have a team that can do it. But only one's going to get through this week, and certainly I hope it's Sacramento State. We'll find out. Should be a fun one on Friday. We hope you're out there. Whatever the conditions are, I'll end you with the podcast like I did last week. I'm going to end with the tease, which is the last thing or the first thing we will play for the radio broadcast on Friday before the game to kind of get everybody fired up for the game, I hope. So we'll end with that. Have a great week. Enjoy the game. We'll be back next week to talk about it all on another edition of the Stingers Up podcast. Thanks for listening. The historical season for the Sacramento State football team hit another mark last week with their first ever FCS playoff win. Will they keep O'Hara in? Will they run or are they going to throw this with Asher on third and five? Fulcher goes in motion. They fake the handoff. O'Hara's going to throw it. He looks deep ball down the middle of the field. Pierre Williams. It's caught. Goodbye, Pierre. 10-5. Touchdown, Sacramento State. The Hornets take the lead. Now the stakes get higher. The games get more difficult as the teams have dwindled down to just eight left, pushing for a national title. Next in line, it's the Incarnate Word Cardinals. They're 11-1. They have the nation's number one offense and one of the top QBs in the FCS. 
it's a monster challenge ahead as the Hornets look to keep their dream season alive. Incarnate Word, Sacramento State, the FCS quarterfinals. It's next. <laughs> 